My name is Rick Renner, and I'm in the ancient city of Smyrna, which was a large city in the Roman province of Asia. And during the time of the New Testament, Paul ministered nearby in the city of Ephesus. And either Paul came here himself or he sent workers here to establish the church in this city, the city of Smyrna. And right now, I'm sitting in one of the underground passageways that runs under the state Agora, which was the largest Agora. It was the largest state marketplace in the entire Roman world. It was magnificent and it was massive. And it was the site of a lot of horrific persecution. We know the believers were dragged into the open courtyard, humiliated, even executed for their faith. And in these underground passageways, there are records that tell us believers were also dragged here. They were stoned, they were killed, they were martyred for their faith. This was a city where believers were dying because they stood for Jesus. And Jesus referred to this in Revelation chapter 2 when he spoke to the pastor and to the church of Smyrna. Listen to the words of Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison. Jesus made it very clear that these sufferings were not the will of God. It was the devil. It was the devil trying to extinguish the light of the gospel. The devil knew if the gospel really broke loose, revival would come to this city, which is eventually exactly what happened. But the devil was going to attempt to put the light of the gospel out. And Jesus said, you need to know the devil's going to come after you. But then the following verse, Jesus said to him who overcomes, he will receive a crown of life. Overcomes in Greek really says to him who's in the process of overcoming. Overcoming is not just something we did once in our past. It's a way of life. We've got to determine it doesn't matter what life brings or what the devil tries to do, what the devil tries to throw at us. We are bigger than any odds that can come against us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we are overcomers. Not those who overcame in the past. Right now, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our life, we're living to be overcomers. We have that ability because the light of God is in us. And for those who overcome, Jesus promises rewards. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Today we're going to conclude our teaching on Christ's message to the church in Smyrna. These teachings have been so rich, I have enjoyed them. And I pray that you've enjoyed them too. We're seeing that the believers in Smyrna were really suffering for their faith. They were being dragged into the temples and dragged into the stadium, dragged into the theater and into the open marketplace where they were being tried, beaten, stoned, and often even executed for their faith. And Jesus spoke to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. And Jesus told them what kind of attitude they had to have to sustain difficult times. And this is a great example of why you need to read every verse of the Bible. You may not like to read verses about suffering, but in these verses, there's real instruction for you about how you can get through a difficult time in your life. And by the way, if you're going through a hard time and you don't have anybody to pray with you, call us. 
contact us. We'll pray with you. It's really difficult to go through tough times by yourself. And if you feel like you have no one else to pray for you, contact us. We're here. We believe in prayer. We know what it means to go through difficult times and to stand in faith. We will be delighted to pray with you. And I promise you, we will really pray. But before we get into the verses, I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Smyrna. Five-part series based on these programs comes with a marvelous study guide. My goodness, just wonderful. With all the Greek words, the definitions, the points, and the principles, ideal for your personal study to share with a friend or in the context of a Bible study. We're also offering you my book, which is called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. It's 800 plus pages. Every page is full color. This book is filled with photographs and illustrations, original research done by me and my research team. We actually go to the city of Smyrna, which is located in the modern city of Izmir in Turkey, and document all the sites where these events took place. And all of that is in this book, including the full account of Polycarp's martyrdom, which I spoke about in the last program. It's all in this book. Now, it's doubtful that you're going to sit down and read all 800 pages in one sitting. I know that. But that's not what this book is designed for. This is a resource. You'll probably keep it near your Bible or near wherever you pray or study the Word of God, and you'll refer to it very often because it will really open the New Testament to you. The back of the book says, step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you back in time. That's what this is for. I believe it will help you, and that's why I want you to order your copy today. But today we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin again in verse 8, where Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna. And you're going to see he's really not speaking to the church. He's speaking to the angel of the church. That's what we see in verse 8. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write. Now let me just comment. Jesus speaks to seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. He speaks to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In all seven cases, Jesus never directly addresses the church. The message is for the church, but Jesus does not address the church. In all seven cases, the Bible says Jesus speaks to the angel of the church. The word angel in all seven cases, the Greek word angelos, which can describe a heaven-sent messenger, but in these particular seven cases, it does not describe a heavenly creature. The word angelos in this case describes a special designated messenger, the pastor of the church. Well, Jesus put all seven of these pastors in their positions. Jesus is not going to ignore the pastor or bypass the pastor's authority. Jesus is going to speak to the pastor if he has something to say to the church. Then it is the pastor's responsibility to pass Jesus' message on to the church. So if Jesus has something good to say, the pastor is going to hear it first. If Jesus has a rebuke to give, the pastor is going to hear it first. And then the pastor's job is to process it and to pass it on to the congregation. And now that's what we find in Revelation 2, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to the angel of the church, the pastor. He's giving the pastor his message, and then the pastor later is to impart it to the leadership and to the congregation. Now let's continue. 
and Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Then he adds these words. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. That word blasphemy is taken from the Greek word blasphemeo, which really describes vile speech, vile speech, horrible, abusive language. So by using this word, Jesus tells us the Jews in synagogue are verbally abusing Christians. And in fact, their behavior is so vile. He says they say they're Jews, but they're not. Jesus says they are the synagogue of Satan. I can't imagine saying anything worse about a group of people than to say they are the synagogue of Satan or they are the church of Satan. It's really what it meant. The word Satan, the word Satanus, is one who accuses, one who slanders, one who makes allegations. It's just a horrible, horrible word. It tells us what the Jews in Smyrna were doing. They were vilifying Christians with blasphemous words, accusing Christians, slandering Christians. And from early historical writings, we know exactly what they were saying. They were stirring up the sentiment of the local pagan population. Pagans believed when something bad happened in the city, somebody had to be the reason for this bad event. For example, if there was a plague, Ah, it must have been because somebody in the city was doing something wrong and therefore the gods sent a plague. If there was an earthquake, well, then the gods must have been displeased and the gods sent an earthquake because of a particular person or group in the city. It was some kind of punishment. And the Jews knew that's what the pagans believed. So the Jews, even though they didn't believe in the gods, used all that information to stir up the pagans against the Christians. And the Jews begin to say, hey, you want to know why we had an earthquake? Hmm, you want to know why there's been a crop failure? You want to know what really is the reason for this disease that's working through the city? It's these Christians. These Christians have upset the spiritual realm with their bad doctrine, their new teaching. These Christians are the reason that curses, famines, wars, earthquakes have come to our city. And the local pagan population heard it and responded and began persecuting the church because of the synagogue of Satan. That's what Jesus tells us in verse 9. Then in verse 10, Jesus says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Jesus doesn't say you're going to have a little demonic activity to deal with. He says the devil. In Greek, there is a definite article. This is very important which means Jesus is saying it is the devil himself. And in fact, the whole verse says, behold the devil. Behold in Greek is the word edu, which carries a sense of amazement. It means, wow, I'm amazed. Even Jesus was amazed at the level of spiritual opposition they were about to endure. Jesus said, it's not just demonic activity, but a definite article, the devil himself is going to drop into the community and begin to work against you through your environment. Wow. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Now, I don't know why, but Christians think every time they see the word tried, it refers to God somehow trying them. 
That's a religious way of thinking. In this verse, the Bible says it is the devil that is trying them. It's not God that caused them to lose their jobs. It's not God that caused them to lose their finances or lose their property. It's not God that has thrust them into poverty to see how they would respond. Jesus says clearly in this verse, the devil is trying you. That word try, the Greek word perazo, it describes a calculated test, not a random test, a calculated test designed, devised to see if you will give up or if you can be broken. A test designed to see if you'll give up, if you've got a deficiency, or if you can be broken. Well, these early believers had declared Jesus to be Lord. They'd even been willing to walk away from their jobs and walk away from their money. They said, hey, you know what? We'll walk away from anything if that's what we have to do to follow Jesus. So the devil calculatingly devised a test to see how serious they were and thrust them into absolute poverty. They were dealing with poverty, dire poverty, abject poverty. And the devil was breaking them to see how long they would stay by their commitment to Christ. Would they finally give up Christ and go back to the trade guilds to get a job? Would they really remain faithful to Christ or could he break them and get them to budge? And Jesus says to them, don't move, don't relent, don't give up. This is the devil that has come against you. It is the devil that's throwing you into prison. And then Jesus says these amazing words, and you will have tribulation. The word tribulation describes a really high pressure period of time, a crushing ordeal. Jesus was honest with them. He didn't say everything's going to be fine. He said, you're going to go some really hard times because of this attack of the devil. But then Jesus says this wonderful thing. He says it will only last for 10 days. Now, historically, there were 10 Roman emperors or 10 Roman periods that persecuted the church. And prophetically, that's probably what this refers to. But on a more basic level, Jesus was saying 10 days, this is not going to last long. And I want to tell you, you may feel like you're in an eternal problem. You know, when you're in the middle of hard times, it seems like they will never end because you can't see the end of it. But it will not last. Tough times always pass. And Jesus said to these believers, it's just 10 days. This is not forever. This is going to pass. And when it passes, you're going to come out as pure gold. This is just 10 days. The devil thinks that he's going to destroy you, but he's not. And this is not going to last forever. It's just a brief period of time. Eventually, it's going to pass. And I just want you to know your hard times are going to pass too. Your hard times are going to pass too. And then Jesus says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. When Jesus says, be thou, it's the Greek word genomai. The word genomai in this case means start where you are and begin practicing faithfulness today. You can actually translate, be thou in the process of becoming faithful unto death. The word death is the Greek word phanatos. It describes something that is mortally dangerous, something that potentially could be fatal. It was really the Greek word used in the Roman legal system to describe the death penalty. Jesus was really telling these early believers, and he's still saying it to you and me, 
You're to be faithful regardless of the price. Do not give up. Do not surrender. The kingdom of God is what is at stake here. Do not give up regardless of what you face. Be thou. Start today. Begin practicing faithfulness today. Don't worry that you're not going to be faithful in a difficult moment. Start where you are today. Be thou becoming. And I want to tell you, if you'll begin to practice faithfulness, steadfastness, if you'll decide that you're never going to give up, never relinquish, never budge, and you practice that today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, then when you face a really difficult problem, it won't be so hard because you've constructed faithfulness into your whole system. Jesus knew that. So he said to the believers, be thou, work on it, start on it, begin becoming to be faithful even unto death and I will give thee a crown of righteousness, crown of life. Let's look at this. And I will give thee a crown of life. I will give thee, it's from the Greek word sozo, which is a form of the Greek word didomi, which means I give. But in this case, it is future tense. Jesus says, I will give. Jesus is describing a future moment when he will personally, personally bestow a crown onto the heads of believers that have endured to the end. And there's a promise to you. If you're faithful to the end, Jesus says, I will give you a crown of life. Jesus himself in the future will step forward in his regal gowns. And Jesus, according to this verse, will place a crown on your head if you have been faithful unto the end. That is amazing. Now, when the Bible says, I will give you a crown of life, that word crown is the word Stephanos. If your name is Stephen, Steve, or Stephanie, this is where your name comes from, from the Greek word Stephanos. I'm going to read you right from my notes. This word crown, the Greek word Stephanos, describes a victor's crown. In the ancient games, a laurel wreath was placed on the head of winning athletes. An athlete who obtained a victor's crown was esteemed and honored for the rest of his life. The memories of his achievements were etched into society and ensured that he would not be overlooked or forgotten during the balance of his life. It could be used in reference to any kind of reward, but particularly it depicted the crown given to athletes who finished their contest victoriously. And when Jesus says, I'll give you the crown of life, implied in this is... You're an athlete, you're a runner, you're in a fight. This is your moment to fight. This is your moment of contest. And if you'll fight to the end, if you'll fight gloriously and refuse to give up, at the end of the fight, the judge of the games is going to come forward. In this particular case, the judge of the games is Jesus himself. And Jesus will put on your head a laurel wreath, a crown, a crown to reward you for what you have done and for how you have fought in the fight of faith. That is just amazing to me. Could there be any greater reward than Jesus himself personally stepping forward to placing a crown on your head? That's what I think about when I'm doing something difficult. I think about it very often. I think about standing before Jesus and what I will experience when I am in front of Jesus. And if I've been faithful, I'm going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And according to the Bible, I will watch as Christ himself in his regal garments puts a crown on my head 
that the Bible calls a crown of life. Now, in the New Testament, five different crowns are mentioned. And very quickly, I want to tell you what they are. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, there's a crown called the crown of incorruption. It describes a crown that is going to give, be given to people who have a lot of self-discipline. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, there's a crown that the Bible calls the crown of rejoicing. Scholars call this the soul winner's crown. So there'll be a special crown for people that are self-disciplined. There'll be a special crown for people that are soul winners, but that's not all. The Bible also describes the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. And the crown of righteousness is a special crown which will be given to people who have anticipated Jesus' next coming. A special crown for those who have lived waiting for His coming. It's called a crown of righteousness. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible talks about the crown of glory. The crown of glory is the shepherd's crown or the pastor's crown. It's a special crown which will be placed upon the heads of pastors who have faithfully fulfilled their function. They've been good pastors. The Bible says Jesus will place on their heads a special crown. Then there is the crown of life, which we're reading about today. It's referred to twice in the New Testament in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. The crown of life is a crown which was a martyr's crown. Those who die for their faith, those who suffer persecution, those who experience martyrdom on some level, some level of suffering because of their faith, they will receive a special crown. The Bible promises that. Who does it belong to? Well, the Bible says, Revelation 2.11, He that overcometh. Now let's focus on this word overcometh in the final moments of the program. The word overcometh describes an overcoming person, one who is in the process of overcoming. In other words, this is not someone who once overcame. The Greek actually means to him who is overcoming. To him who is overcoming. There's not a reward just because of something you did. This crown belongs to him who is overcoming. He's got a mental attitude. I'm not giving up. I'm not budging. I'm going to conquer my foe. I'm not stopping till all of my enemies are under my feet until I have attained what God has told me to do. It's an overcoming attitude. The Greek actually says to him that is overcoming. That's the attitude you have to have if you're going to make it. You can't just sit around and say, well, I once had a victorious moment. No, 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 no. You've got to say, I'm living for the next victorious moment. I'm in the process of overcoming. I am an overcomer. I'm constantly in the process of overcoming. And those who have that attitude, make it. You can do it. You can make it. And when you see Jesus, Jesus is going to compensate you gloriously, gloriously, with one of these five crowns. Just imagine when you stand before Jesus and Jesus steps forward in his royal garments, all of his glory, and Jesus places one of these crowns on your head. That's what you have in front of you. That's worth everything. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. 
The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. On every page of this comprehensive commentary, Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world. With unsurpassed detail, fascinating insights, and historical context, you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of Scripture and how you should interpret it for today. This beautifully bound, 800-page, full-color biblical resource can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the New Testament come alive. When you call or go online today, you can also get the five-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Smyrna. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Smyrna suffered great persecution, but Jesus encouraged them to overcome. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10, Rick explores this essential message of how to overcome suffering and persecution and learn to trust in God's final plan. Don't miss this special offer, a light in darkness, and Christ's message to the church in Smyrna. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Friends, this is Rick Renner. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa, and I call this Phase 3. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for Phase 3, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. In Revelation chapter two and verse 11, we find that Jesus promises a crown of life to him that overcomes. And we've seen that the Greek actually says to him who is overcoming. And I want to read to you what this word overcometh means, the Greek word nikau. Listen to this. It means one who is overcoming. In other words, he's constantly in the process of overcoming. It depicts a victor, a champion, or one who possesses some type of superiority. It means to conquer, to defeat, to master, to overcome, to overwhelm, to surpass, or to be victorious. Often it is used in Greek literature to paint the picture of athletes who mastered their sport and reigned supreme as champions in the games. It could depict a military victory of one foe against the other, to be permanently and consistently undeterred in one's efforts to overcome and obtain a lasting victory. Lastly, it can be translated to control, to conquer, to defeat, to master, overcome, overwhelm, surpass, or one who is altogether victorious. Wow. And the Greek tense used here speaks of a continuous and ongoing victorious attitude. 
Jesus wants you to master everything, and you can. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You're called to be an overcomer. Wow. Speaking to you from my series called Christ's Message to Smyrna, five parts based on these programs. Order it. It's just great. And my book, which is called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. Thank you so much for being with me today. I speak the power of God to you so you can overcome your situation in Jesus' name. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says, where the word of a king is, there's power. So let that word release its power in you today. You can overcome everything. And I'll see you in the next program.